0: Oh, Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your consistency and your, your steadfastness. I thank you that you are never shaken and that we can always trust in you, even when things don't seem to make sense. When there's chaos everywhere around us. We understand that you are our God and we can give you glory. We thank you so much for your son. We're going to lift up those kids as they go downstairs. Let them just hear your word. Lord, I pray for those that may be sick and are battling it. Lord, I pray for our country, this world. I just ask that you will bring peace, that you will be, bring right thinking, that most importantly, you will drive us to your word and to you, God, through all of this. Let your name be glorified. Let us focus on you and everything that we do and everything that we say. I pray that your words would speak loudly and that, that I could maybe take a back seat. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 13, and this is our last week in about a six-month series in Hebrews. We've spent a long time here. I mean, we've been in Hebrews for a, a very long time. And, and i got to admit, a lot, a lot of churches nowadays, they, they spend just a short amount of periods of time in different books. And, and in our type of thinking that we have, you know, it tends to work a little better. We, we don't quite have that ability to, to stay focused for long periods of time. But I'm super proud of this church and how we've, we've handled this text in Hebrews 13. And, and continually, we've given the glory to Jesus and talked about His superiority in everything that we've done. And I can honestly say, as I, as I look at this week, I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime. And I'm sure those that are much older than me haven't either. There's so much mass hysteria. There's, there's craziness. People are are worried about their life. And, and, and rightly so. I mean, especially if, if you don't have Jesus as that foundation. And if you're high risk, I I, I completely understand it. And, and I think these safety precautions, some of them are logical. Some of them we have to take, I understand. but. I also want us to view this the way that we should as Christians. And as Christians, we should always have value for life. And we should have peace in, in whatever is going on around us and whatever happens. We should also be sensitive to the people that are around us. But I want us to think about where our confidence is, where our identity is, and, and it should always be in Jesus. And we look at this main theme, this superiority of Christ. And I want us to understand that we worship a God that is in control. Our Jesus is far superior. He's superior than our moods and our attitudes and our hysteria. And our lives don't have to be defined by what is around us. But they can be defined in our relationship with Jesus You see, this has been a crazy week in my life as a pastor. Probably the craziest week that I've ever experienced. And I've only been doing this for about three years. On last Saturday, we we buried a good friend. and This guy was 70 years old and and he came to Jesus in probably the last four or five months of his life. And it, it was such a beautiful funeral because you got to speak to so many people that didn't know the name of Jesus. And then throughout the week, you, you know that you're going to do a wedding on Saturday, but, but tragedy happens. And you see this, this beautiful baby boy, and he goes to be with the Lord. And doing a funeral for a baby boy is difficult, and, and trying to support that family. And then a wedding of a couple that loves Jesus. Jesus. And getting to share the Gospel in a wedding. And you know it was the same. The same in every single message is the name of Jesus. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ is the same today and forevermore. And so as we look at Hebrews 13.9, I want to do it a little bit different here. I I want to teach us. I want to teach us how I look at the Scripture and how I, I come to break down the Scripture in order to be able to teach it to you guys. So let's start with Hebrews 9, uh, verse chapter 13, verse 9. Do not let be led away by diverse and strange teaching, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them as I look at this text, I notice that a lot of people get caught up in different things in this text. They want to make more of it than they have to. But I think as we look back, as we look at verse 8, we see this this important statement. And it says that, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And if Jesus is always the same, then there is no reason for us to be led astray. You see, we have this book... We have the Bible and we, we look in the, in the book of Acts and we see these Bereans. And they're so excited about hearing the words that, that Paul has to say. They look at Scripture though. They don't just take Paul's words for it. They actually go and they study Scripture on their own. And that's what I ask us to do, and that's what I'm trying to to teach us today. How can we take this Scripture, and how can we digest it? How can we learn how to study the Scripture? And I understand that some of us, and most of us, get overwhelmed at certain parts in the text. And I'm no different. I read these first three verses of of Hebrews 13, 9-12 here, and, and I'm a little bit confused. But what I want us to think about is how do we take the things that we do know, like like verse 8, it's so simple. The text is is so simple there. And how do we use it to explain the more difficult text? And the first question we ask ourselves when we read it, do I need more information? And that verse 8, it it really helps us as we go through it. It helps us to understand the foundation of our Bible study. And the steps I want to talk about, we want to observe the text. And then we want to interpret it. And then we have this application, and we can't forget the application. How does it pertain to our life now? And then, importantly, how do we take this application? How do we communicate it to others? How do we build the relationships that are so important in our faith? So, as we observe it, we ask questions. As I looked at this text, I, I say, what does it mean to be strengthened by grace? Why is the writer talking about foods? Who is devoted to these foods? So a simple way to, to study these Scriptures. And This is what I like to do first. I, I first read it and I observe it. And I might read it over and over again and, and try to study and, and figure out what it's saying. And then I take that text and I, and I look at it in, in, conjun- in conjunction with the rest of Hebrews 13. And then I look at it, how does it fit with the rest of Hebrews? And then I take it down, how does it fit with the New Testament? And then I break it to the whole Bible. Now if we had to do that all at one time, that would take a long time. But as we grow, as we start to learn more and more about who Jesus is, those concepts come naturally to us. So I think it's important. Not only have we observed, but, but what is the intent of the original author? So often we, we skip to how it applies to our life. Rather than seeing what that original author was writing back 2,000 years ago, and I tell this to my youth, right, as we're, as we're trying to interpret this. I, I really want you guys as a congregation not to just listen to my words, but to be able to discover the Bible for yourself, to be able to hold me accountable for what I say. You see, you have an obligation to read the Bible. But also, there's an obligation for you to look at me and say, All right, Pastor Zach, are you living the life that you are teaching us? Pastor Bill, are you living the life that you are teaching us? And if we are not living this life, then how are we supposed to represent our faith to you? And I love it as I read this text, I I pick out certain words. And I say it often I talk about this grace. And grace is so important as we read Scripture. And as we study it, anything that we come up with that takes away from the grace of Christ, then we need to rethink it. You see, grace is is dealing with Christ's perfection and His perfect death for our sins. Nothing that we did. Christ is giving us grace. Grace that we do not deserve. And I need us to be careful. Sometimes we can get carried away, like right now for Lent, I I gave up meat, and I get it, don't make fun of me. I understand it. I don't expect any of you guys to give up meat. But I have to be careful. If if at any time while I'm doing this, if, if I put this step, if I put giving up meat above Christ, then I need to stop. If I feel like I'm superior because I have the discipline to give up meat and you don't, then I need to stop. Because it's about Jesus and the grace that He accomplished on the cross. And we must remember also, as we study this text, that that Hebrews is written to a Jewish audience. We cannot let that fact escape our minds. You see, and at the time with these foods, they have diet restrictions that they religiously follow. And these people, they're caught up in observing these laws. And and some of them, not all of them, they have this misunderstanding that that these observances save us. And I'm here to tell you that it's not these ceremonial foods that save us or obeying these strict rituals in the temple that save us. No. No. It's only through the grace of Christ that saves us. And honestly, I look at it, what benefits our food? You see, if our faith was, bene- was, was based on all these laws, man, we'd be hosed. We would never be able to hold to all these standards that it set. We would be led astray and swayed by all these things that are happening in our life. And Christianity is not about these right foods. Christianity is not about Jesus and something else. Christianity is about Jesus and nothing else. Nothing else saves you. Now don't get me wrong. There's obedience. And we should strive to be obedient to Christ. We should strive to not sin. And a true love for Jesus should lead us towards that obedience. In James, it tells us in, verse, in chapter 2, verses 14-17, through 17, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you say to them, Go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need for their body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You see, we know that our faith is genuine by the heart that comes from our relationship. And we have to have this balance, this, this line in our life. This balance between our work and our, and our motivation. Is our motivation because we love Jesus or because we want to be saved? And this leads us into these next couple verses which are even more difficult in that first verse if we, if we don't have all this context around it. This context of Hebrews, as we, as we discover Hebrews 13, verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Now that verse can be a little bit hard to understand if we're just reading the Scripture. But there's other verses to help us understand that. 1 Corinthians 9.13 tells us that, that the Old Testament, that the priest had a right to the offering. And when we read the Old Testament, we see that the, the Levites were, were not allowed an in inheritance, and they were to be taken care of by the rest of the Israelite people. And Leviticus 6, 24 through, 24, through 26, basically says that the priest gets to taste of the sacrificial barbecue. Says that the Lord he spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten, in the court of the tent of meeting. You see, we should not condemn them for this. This is the system that they had set in place. But we should think about how they haven't quite surrendered to Jesus. To the perfect sacrificial system. The one that was for once and for all. The work of Jesus. As we move on, verse 11 and 12 in Hebrews 13, it says, For the the bodies of these animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. This text is difficult. But Hebrews 7, 8, and 10, they help us interpret it. This text in 7, 8, and 10 help us understand that Jesus is our High Priest. And if you've been around the church for just a little bit of time, you understand this. And it's probably why we're not all Catholic in here. You see, we believe that Christ is the head of the church. It's not me. Every one of you has the same access to God that I have. We understand that that Jesus is our high priest. But we also have to look at some of these rituals that we see in the Old Testament to understand it, specifically, this sacrificial system. And I have to be honest with you, I'm not that smart. I Google a lot. (laughs) Not so much information, I mean, which I do. I mean, there's very good information out there, and you have to be careful, but you can find good stuff. But more, I Google where to find things in the Bible. You know, I, I have a background and, I, and I've had some knowledge and understanding of where things are at, but I don't always know exactly where they are. And if I can just remember a couple words, I can type that in and it comes up and tells me where it's at in Scripture. So use those tools. Use those tools when you're studying. Some of us have these commentaries. I have tons. I mean, it's, a, it's part of being a preacher, Right? But I think it's important, it's super important that we take the text and we study it on our own before we go to these commentaries. Every one of you has the same Holy Spirit that the men that wrote these commentaries had. Now, at the same time, these commentaries can be very important to check your work. I'm telling you that that the Word of God has been digested for 2,000 years. If you think you're going to come up with something new, I would think twice, okay? So, so if you don't find anything that you're thinking in a commentary somewhere, really start to evaluate where you're going with this particular part of Scripture. We need to understand that people have been trying over and over again to, to discredit the Bible. They want so desperately to prove it false. And I don't think they have. In fact, I know they haven't. And then there's this other group, and they've, and they've been working so hard to, to work out the truths of Scripture. And we can lean on some of this, but, but do it afterwards. Study it on your own. Let the Holy Spirit work in your own life. Stay with what is known. It's so important. So as we look at this Levitical system, this, this sacrificial system, we see this day called Yom Kippur. I don't know if how many people know about it, but it's the day of atonement. So Yom is the word in Hebrew for day, and, and Kippur is the, is the name for atonement. And atonement is best described with, with something that satisfies a wrongdoing. You see, there's still this, this wrongdoing, but something greater is given in place for that wrongdoing. The Day of Atonement is, is laid out in Leviticus 16, 1-34. And, and I'm not going to read the whole thing for, for you. That might take a while. But I want to go through it. I want to try to break it down for you a little bit. You see, this, this magnitude of what's happening on that day is so important for our relationship with Jesus and understanding His work on the cross. So basically, right, there's this almighty God. He is completely and perfectly holy. And all of us little black-hearted sinners, if we want a chance to come into His presence, there has to be an atonement. This makes sense to us, right? We, We understand how holy our God is. Or at least I'm hoping that we're starting to understand how powerful and how big our God is. You see, none of us want a God. None of us want a God that can just change on a whim. None of us want a God that that isn't just completely just. I mean, if something bad happens to one of your loved ones, you want a judge that is going to be just. Nobody wants a murderer or a thief to be letting off without any punishment. Except for we happen to be the murderer or the thief, and that's another story. But to think about this just God. Perfectly just. But also at the same time, He's he's perfectly loving. Perfectly loving. And, And Jesus happens to be that atonement in the middle. You see, God had a problem. God is perfectly holy and He could not have anything that was not holy in His presence. And so He tells Aaron... He tells Aaron that that you have to bring a sacrifice to me. You have to wash up and go through all these cleansing rituals. The the Israelite people were ahead of their time. They understood how important washing was and and hygiene, something that we're seeing right now. But he also understood that, that Aaron had something that Jesus didn't have, and that was he was human. Jesus was human, I get that, but He also had this, this element of God to Him. And Aaron was going to die. Our death rate is 100%. We can all agree on that, right? Our death rate is 100%. But Aaron was a sinner, and Jesus wasn't. And Aaron, he brings this bull, and he, and he... And he Kills it on the altar and he brings the blood and he sprinkles it for his sin. And then there's these two goats and he does the same thing with one of the goats for the, for the people of Israel. And then he takes one of these goats and he sends it off into the wilderness after playing his, laying his hands on him. And he talks about all these sins and all the wickedness of the people of Israel as he sends it out into the wilderness. And then the remainder of the bull goes out into the wilderness and, and they're burned up. And that's important for the text that we're seeing. You see, Jesus is that mediator between. And throughout this whole process, there's a continual washing and a cleansing that we have. Even those people that that took the bull and the goat outside the camp had to continually wash and clean over and over and over again. This system had to be done every year over and over and over again with each priest that came in because Aaron was going to die. And we understand that with Jesus, that was fixed. Jesus was the answer. He was the love, the perfect love that God was talking about. Now, we have something that's stable, something that, that is not shaken, something that lasts forever. Let's look at Hebrews 7: 26-28. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did those once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which come later than the law appoints a son who had been made perfect forever. See, the Jews still to this day celebrate Yom Kippur. We do not celebrate it. You see, God has given us something so much greater. And I, I love in John 19.30, John says that Jesus told us that He says, It is finished. I love that we do not have a religion that is based on a, on a yearly atonement. And I have to be honest with you, I see a, an incompleteness in this. Because they still do not sacrifice living animals You see, they changed their ways when their temple was destroyed. And I'm not sure how all that works, but I'm sure that that with Jesus, we worship a Jesus that is completed. His work on the cross is finished. And our faith is in Jesus, in Jesus alone. So stay with me. Let's move to, to verse 13. Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach that He endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. I'm telling you that when we accept Christ, we now bear. We now carry the cross. And I understand as Americans, we love our country. But we're now citizens of the new heaven and the new earth. Citizens of Christ's kingdom where there is no coronavirus or crazy politicians directing our lives, there is a perfect King, and that is Jesus. You see, because of Jesus, because of Jesus, because there was a finished work on the cross, our sacrificial system has changed. And we have a very good reason, and that's Jesus. And and when we accept that work on the cross. You see, our words, they have meaning. Our sacrifices is seen in our praise for God in the music that we just got done singing, in preaching and in teaching our life the fruit that comes from it. Hebrews 13, 15 and 16 says, Through Him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I mean, He's telling us right here, you have Jesus. You have the answer to the coronavirus. You have the answer to death and sorrow. You have the answer to fear and confusion. And that is a hope in Jesus. And then we're called to share it. Most of us know the the, the magicians and comedian act pen and teller. He says in his book that somebody offered him a Bible, and then even though he's an atheist, he respected it because he said, "How much would somebody have to hate somebody to not share their faith if they believed in a heaven and a hell?" And I say, how much is leaders in the church? will we have to hate you if we weren't constantly sharing about a faith in Jesus? You see, whether we're celebrating the life of a 70-year-old man that gave his life to Christ later in life, or a, or a beautiful little baby boy, maybe even a wedding. You see, Jesus is the answer. And as believers, we have an obligation to share it because we love people. We love the world. And we have to evaluate it if we're not sharing our faith. You see, there are families everywhere that have not put their faith in the Lord. And I ask as as a church, do we have enough love for others? Enough hope in Jesus that we want to share our faith with others? And then we must ask ourselves, are the leaders in our church, are they discipling us? Are they, are they training us up to be able to share our faith? Are they, are they challenging us to live on mission for Christ? Hold us accountable. And verse 17 says, so he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, And not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I don't believe this text is talking about our government leaders. There's places in text that are, Romans 13. I think this place is talking about the leaders in the church. God has has put the leaders in this church in a place of power and we as leaders are not to take this for granted. This is a big deal and we will be held accountable for it someday. It's saying, please listen to Pastor Bill. Please listen to the elders. And I understand that. I already told you to to read your Bible and and to hold us accountable. And I say yes and I say amen. Amen. But I can honestly tell you that in the last three years, I've been teaching and, and been a pastor for three years. I've only had one time where somebody came up and talked to me about my sermon. And the one time it did, it was very hurtful, I gotta admit. But I can tell you that that person came to me and they did it in a way that is honoring to God. And we were able to work out some of the, the theological framework of what I had said. And we were able to do it in a way that honors God. And, and I was very appreciative of what, it, what she said. Now that doesn't mean I want you guys to all email me and, and break down everything that I'm saying. But I do want you guys to read your Word and to study it and, and to come and talk to us about it. And to do it with joy. Joy. Not to do it with groaning. Because that doesn't honor our God. You see, us as leaders, we put a lot of work in what we have to say. We put a lot of work in studying the Scriptures. I take this very serious, being held accountable for what I say from this place. And I ask that you please understand my heart. Understand the other leaders in this church's heart. And hold us accountable, yes, but, but do it in a way that's joyful. And, and I promise I'll do it in a way that's patient. In a tone that honors God. And he says that we are to have unity in the church. And so what does that mean for you guys? How can you help the leaders in the church? And I'm telling you that so many of you have already done it this week. I had an outpouring of love this week that I cannot describe. It was so amazing. I'm writing these very words in these texts, and I get two messages of people in this church telling me that they were praying for me throughout this week, that they they cared about all the things that have been put on my plate. How powerful is that? And that's what I'm asking you as a church support your leaders, text them, text them wonderful things, write them a note, do all these things to help them. Because quite honestly, guys, we're being attacked. We're being attacked in the church, outside the church. Things are attacking us, our health, things in our families. It's all around us. And you guys, the body of Christ, how are we supposed to preach the Word of God without you guys in support? Helping us out as we study and as we devour the Word of God. And it's such a blessing to look out at a church. I look out at all these faces and, the, and the, the heart of the people in this church and the support that You've given us. And it's so overwhelming sometimes. I thank You so deeply for all of it. It's so important. And, and we look at verse 18 and it says, Pray for us. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. And I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Guys, when there's a break, when we, when we lack unity in the church, it makes it so much more difficult to accomplish the mission that God has laid out for us. ask us to pray for our leaders. Be creative in it. And it's not just about money. I want us to be a church that is so generous, so generous with our resources that people look at this church and they see Jesus. I want us to act in a way that gives God glory, that gives Jesus glory in a way that honors the church. And I can tell you, as I look out, the greatest way to support your leaders is watching you do ministry. Seeing how excited you are to share your faith about who Jesus is, seeing your life radiate to this community that is so powerful. That is what fills my cup. As I get to the end of this sermon, so often I end with a benediction. And Paul, he does the same. He's he's trying to drive home these important things that he's just told you. The important points of the book of Hebrews. And he's trying to do it with this blessing that we have in Christ. And I so often, I tell the kids, we've been going through the book of Acts. I I tell them each and every time, I say, each chapter of the book of Acts, the, the Acts of the Apostle, each time they take the Scripture... And they're not so much worried about helping you through the daily life, which it will help, but they're worried about sharing the blessing that is Jesus. Talking about the prophecies that that declare Jesus as they go into these Jewish synagogues. And each and every time they talk about the love of Jesus and how Jesus changes lives. Jesus is the support. If we just have this relationship with Jesus, the other ones can take care of themselves. Verse 20, Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. See, true blessing is in the simplicity of the Gospel. You were dead in your sins. You were dead in this world. But God, in His peace, He sent His Son, Jesus, who rose from the dead, and we can have peace in Him. He's our head shepherd, He's who we surrender to. And His work on the cross is never ending, it is eternally accomplished. One time, one time with blood. And it's not a yearly thing. It is a finished thing. It's not about the foods that we eat or the way that we dress or the traditions of the world. It is about Jesus and the hope that we have in Him. And that hope should equip us to do the work that He has for His kingdom. And we should have a desire to please God and to give glory to Jesus the bible is continually calling us to be devoted to the word. And that's why I'm giving you these simple tools so you can study it for yourself. That you can be devoted to the word and learn on your own. 1st Timothy 4:13 through 16 sheds light on it. Until I come devote yourself to the public reading of scripture to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which you have been given by prophecy when the council of the elders laid hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you may all see the progress. Keeping a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. And I've been pleading with you today. And in our men's breakfast we're watching these videos and a guy named J.D. Greer and he gives this analogy and I thought it was so relevant and sometimes I feel like I'm the, the quarterback. Right? And we're all in a huddle and I'm, and I'm giving you the word of God. I'm giving you the playbook. I'm telling you the play and you guys are like, yeah, that's awesome. Great call. Like, that's, that's a great play call. And then you guys go and sit on the bench. Right? We don't run the play. And then we go out again, and we we get in the huddle, and I I give a play call, and we're all like, yeah, that's awesome, and you go sit on the bench. And I'm pleading with you today, let's stop sitting on the bench. Right, this Word, this Word of God has given us direction. It's given us our purpose and our mission. Go. Practice. Immerse yourself in it. as we close, I don't don't think that I have to give any more words than what the writer of Hebrews is saying in the final part of Hebrews 13. Let me finish with this. I appeal to you, brothers. Bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. And you should know that your brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy, send your greetings. And then he says something that's super important. And often we just glance by it and he says, Grace be with all of you. Guys, as we take this play, as we take this play that I've called today in the huddle and we take it to the world, we have to remember the grace of Jesus And have grace for others. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Son. We thank You for His grace. For His infinite love on the cross. Something we just didn't deserve that we could never deserve, but yet You give it to us out of Your love, out of Your perfect love. And Lord, I pray that we could not just be observers of Your Word, but that we could take practice to it and and immerse ourselves in Your call. That we could love You deeply and that because of that love for You deeply, that we would have a love for others and that love would carry out and that we would have a passion to share the truths of Your Word. And to help people, even in this crazy time, that we would have faith and that we could lean on You. Lord, make Yourself known. Bring Yourself glory in these moments in time. And let us not forget ever who You are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.